Hello, my name is Pete. This is Social Distance of Massive News. The vaccine has been approved. Oh, that's cows like it, yes. It's the BioNTech uh, slash Pfizer one that I like to put BioNTech first, but nobody else does. And you remember, it's the Turkish couple that uh, fell in love and made a vaccine together. <laughs> And um, the dude who runs Pfizer at the moment is from Greece. So that's really good. So we've really got to start thinking about who's going to be uh, playing these people in the... Maybe um, Hugh Grant can pull it off after his astonishing turn in the undoing. Yeah. Anyway, so it's been approved by the UK regulator, the first in the world... And uh, they are going to start giving this out in hospitals next week, which is fantastic news. It's excellent that it's been um, authorised for emergency use. So that basically means like, you know, you've got to fucking give it to the guys who need it the most. And then it's hopefully going to be given to people in care homes and then the uh, people that are over 80. And then there's a kind of, you know, uh, procedure in place so uh, all of the people that need it will get a vaccine soon enough and like we say we expect Moderna to come on stream and we expect AstraZeneca to come on stream at some point but it's brilliant news excellent news here is Slick Nick Robinson (laughs) on Wednesday the 2nd of December. The headlines this morning, the UK has become the first country in the world to approve the Pfizer-BioNTech coronavirus vaccine. It'll be made available from next week. A strengthened three-tier system of coronavirus restrictions has replaced England's second national lockdown. Family members will be able to visit relatives inside care homes from today if they test negative for COVID-19. Steve McQueen is uh, working with the BBC and he has released a series of films. There's five in total and he's just released the third one, Red, White and Blue. The whole series is called Small Axe. Steve McQueen is the master, I mean, just a genius uh, artist. And I knew him before as an artist, you know, before he started making feature films but he then made Hunger which is extraordinary and then he went on to make uh, 12 Years a Slave you know so he is you know he knows what he's doing he knows what he's doing that old Steve McQueen doesn't he yeah and anyway Red White and Blue the uh, third in a series of five under the Small Axe series um, stars John Boyega. It is the true story of this uh, cop of Jamaican heritage called Leroy Logan. And Leroy Logan was uh, one of the uh, first black police officers in London who was given a role of uh, trying to recruit more 
black men and women onto the police force, the Met Police in London. And it's an unflinching, it's quite difficult to watch this film because as you can imagine, this was in the 80s, yeah, the early 80s. So there was lots of racism and lots and lots of uh, racism kind of within the police force, obviously, like overt racism towards him uh, and towards other um, minority ethnic police officers, uh, but also lots and lots of cynicism um, from the black community, like a lot of it. And it's a brilliant film. It's based on the true story of this guy, um, Leroy Logan, and his story is really interesting. He then went on to work with uh, Neville and Doreen Lawrence, who oversaw the race relations work um, across the UK police forces in an initiative which, then, which started to clamp down on, you know, at least the overt racism, certainly didn't fucking touch the systemic racism, obviously, in the UK police force, but um, started to clamp down on the overt racism that we see all the time in the police service in, well, not just the UK, but obviously other countries, but also the UK, yeah? Every fucking day, okay? And this um, this body that the uh, parents of Stephen Lawrence were on and uh, Leroy Logan was on was dissolved in 2009. And after 10 years of austerity, Leroy Logan is now saying that the police, in terms of race relations, is back where they were 20 years ago, which is, you know, no surprise after 10 years of a fucking Tory government. But obviously a fucking disgrace you know so when you look at and I urge you to watch um, Red White and Blue and everything that Steve McQueen makes and all of the small act series but when you look at that don't think that it's some kind of historic you know document and how good things are now because it isn't good now at all and it is fantastic that somebody with John Baega's you know, he doesn't need to do this, do you know what I mean? He's in fucking Star Wars. He can do whatever he likes. And he's been, like, absolutely brilliantly vocal and passionate activist for uh, Black Lives Matter. And, you know, kind of, he's spoken about, you know, I did wonder if it would have a, uh, a knock on my career, you know, but at the end of the day, fuck that. Do you know what I mean? So I'm a big fan of John Mayer's, and he is an outstanding actor, you know, you think he's good in Star Wars, you ain't seen nothing yet, right? You ain't seen nothing yet. And obviously it goes without saying that Steve McQueen is an absolute master of filmmaking, okay? Just like, for instance, just watch how he uses music in uh, Red, White and Blue, yeah? Just watch how he uses music. And speaking of which, here is a couple of seconds of Al Green. Stop. Oh, 
Across the United States, people were going to bed when they heard the news. Trump was in trouble. Amazing story coming out of the United States. The Justice Department are investigating potential presidential pardon. Nice little bit of alliteration there. Bribery scheme. What? Court records reveal. The Justice Department is investigating a potential crime related to funneling money to the White House or related political committee in exchange for a presidential pardon, according to court records unsealed on Tuesday. And we woke up to the news of this in Britain and across the United States. People were going to bed when they heard the news that Trump is in trouble because... The case is the latest legal twist in the waning days of Donald Trump's administration after several of his top advisers have been convicted of federal criminal charges. So, here is Erin Burnell, is that her name? Burnett? Something like that. Um, From CNN. And she mentions, at the top of this clip, she mentions Rudy Giuliani. So Rudy Giuliani, we know, is among the Trump allies asking for a pardon, a preemptive right. pardon. And uh, we're also getting breaking news about the DOJ now tonight. Professor investigating a, perfect, a potential bribery scheme for a presidential pardon. Now, we understand this investigation was launched back in August. Um, so it's, do you connect very, these dots? Yeah. It seems to me it's very important. Everybody agrees that you can't pardon someone ahead of the time that they actually commit a crime. That kind of preemptive pardon is impossible. And yet, when you are engaged in bargaining with somebody about a possible pardon, at a time when they are still engaged in all kinds of shenanigans, you are essentially saying, go ahead, commit crimes if you want, and retrospectively, I'll give you the kind of sweeping pardon that I have now given uh, Michael Flynn. It's an extreme abuse of the pardon power, almost as extreme as the self-pardon that Hannity has now urged Trump to grant himself. It's all an absolute violation of fundamental constitutional principles. So do you think there could be a quid pro quo here? Uh, You know, use the word bribery, but that, you know, Giuliani's out there now talking about these bizarre conspiracy theories. There's no facts behind any of it. It's made up stuff, right? right, About Venezuela and Hugo Chavez running a voting company. I mean, is this possible that that's what this is all about? This is a quid pro quo and, and there's this, you know, he knew knows his pardon's coming. It could well be, but the point is we will know only if whatever blanket pardons are granted are ultimately scraped back by the courts when investigations and indictments are brought by a future Justice Department. Otherwise, the idea that there is a rule of law in this country, that no one is above the law, will simply be an empty slogan. We have to give meaning to it, and the only way we can give meaning to it is to limit the abuse of the pardon power. We've never seen anything remotely like it. The president wielding the pardon power, not as an instrument of mercy, but as a form of cover-up, of continuation of an ongoing obstruction of justice. So there we go. And um, interesting there, that's Lawrence Tribe, by the way. Lawrence Tribe, who um, yeah, works at Harvard now. He's a constitutional law 
um, professor at Harvard, but he used to be in the Gore Bush. He, he used to be in the Gore team for Gore Bush uh, 20, 2000, 2000, the 2000 Gore Bush, um, you know, debacle in Florida, hanging charge. Remember all that? Went up to the Supreme Court, blah, 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 blah. Um, so there we go. There's Lawrence Tribe. And the idea of a self-pardon. Well, first of all, we don't know whether it's Giuliani. We don't know who it is. And there's, a, you know, any number of fuckwits who it could be. And the New York Times are saying that he's discussed uh, pardoning his children as well. And I think it kind of it gets to the line, really, with Trump and all of these, um, you know, chances and con men and, and con women as well. You know, not discounting um, Trump's daughter here. Um, it gets to the line where they realize they might be out of power. So this, the investigation started in August, okay? So they realized that they could lose the election. And then they think, well, we've got, we've come so far in our like criminal enterprise, you know? At what point do we have to kind of like stop? Like how close do we get to the line where we have to say, oh shit, like they might start looking at us, you know? We might start to be, um, you know, have to face the consequences of our criminality that we've been doing for like, you know, basically kind of, you know, below the radar for the last three and a half years while we've been here in the White House. But now the White House is maybe slipping uh, away from us. How far do we push it? And fucking Hannity is like saying, this just this psychopath on Fox News is saying, oh, you pardon yourself. Well, it doesn't fucking work like that. A pardon. The idea of a pardon is that, you know, if somebody is on death row or whatever, and, you know, you've got some, you know, insane governor who's saying, oh, no, the guy has to die, even though clearly he's innocent. You know what I mean? Then the president will step in and say, well, actually, you know, I'm going to pardon his life. That's the kind of idea of the pardon. And, of course, it probably has been used politically in the past. But has it, though? I'm not sure if it has even. You know, and certainly it's never been used like this, where you say to someone, if you do something that is against the law, it's okay though, because I'm going to pardon you, you know? So the whole thing stinks, and it might be that this actually sticks, because the Department of Justice, obviously, is a government department, a government um, where Trump is the president, you know? Bill Barr, who's the guy that runs William Barr, everyone calls him William Barr for me. Me and Bill, we were, you know, uh, running a hotel in uh, South Korea a long, long time ago. Yeah. So I know him back from the, you know, soul days. He's my soul man. <laughs> anyway, Bill Barr, as I like to call him, um, he runs the um, Department of Justice. He's a big Trump dude. You know, he's very close to Trump. He's been doing Trump's dirty work for a long, long time. But he's clearly realized now well, actually, there's so there's there's only too many times I can say the people that work with me in the Department of Justice. There's only so many times I can tell them to fuck off, you know. And we have lost the election, so there's only a couple of days now. It's like less than 50 days, 49 days now until uh, January the 20th, you know. So Bill Barr, as I like to call him, says, 
Oh, well, maybe. It came out yesterday saying, oh, yeah, they did lose. There's no way that Trumpy won. And now the department is, um, you know, investigating Trump for bribery for pardons. So we are now in December, and as a celebration counting down to Christmas, I'm going to share with you a uh, artwork that was made 10 years ago by a friend of mine, Giles Bukensha, and I contributed to one of the episodes. What it is, it's an advent calendar made up of uh, videos, if you call them videos, they're all on YouTube, and I've got the link in the uh, description for this episode. And uh, so here's an example. And once, a long time ago, I was on a boat in the summer and I was given a pair of binoculars to look at an island nearby. It must have only been maybe a thousand metres away from us. Um, And it was a calm sea and a beautiful summer's day. And it took me a long time to see um, these creatures on the beach of the island and like I say you know the light has to be just so and I saw uh, little snitches or snippets of these birds they were they were huge birds absolutely enormous birds the size of emus but they weren't emus and for a moment I thought that I was the first person ever to see these particular birds it really felt like that it was um, it was an island that not many, it wasn't, habit, in, in, it wasn't habitable by humans. It was a very small island. It was an island only for, uh, you know, wildlife, really. And, yeah, like I say, for a moment, I felt this, this rush uh, seeing an animal that I just could not categorize. I couldn't recognize it at all. I knew that it was some kind of bird, but their legs... It actually looked like, it sounds a bit odd, but it looked like it had women's legs. <laughs> very thick, um, but shapely. Uh, very human legs, essentially. Very odd, very peculiar. And only because I was watching it through binoculars, watching these birds through binoculars. Yeah, that was good. Yeah, that was good. And that's uh, Avant Calendar 6 of 25 from Jars. Kensha's uh, Advent Calendar 2010, so that's 10 years ago. So go and take a look at the link if you want more of that. Thank you very much. I run to the shop, bump into everyone. Say, have you heard? Have you heard the news? There is a podcast called Social Distancer. Share it, like it, astound your friends. Everything you want to hear about. The greatest public health emergency in any of our lives. Four times a week and it is free. Mondays, Wednesdays and Fridays and an omnibus on Sundays. Fucking great oh. So it's a wonderful day, and um, the press conference that the sausage did with Jonathan Van Tam 
and Stephen Sondheim from um, the NHS. Uh, well, it didn't shed much light, apart from two things. Number one, um, Jonathan Van Tam thinks that the coronavirus is going to be around for quite a long time, forever. He says that we're not going to be able to eliminate it from the world and vaccines will obviously suppress it in a massive way, you know, over time. Um, But he said that he hopes that uh, mitigations like, um, you know, mask wearing and sanitising your hands will just become a norm. And he said that in countries where that happens, like in the Far East, for instance, um, that, you know, kind of greatly reduces, um, you know, infections, obviously, flu and things like that, yeah? And then fucking Johnson said, oh, well, I don't know about that. He said, oh, you know, if that does happen, then it's to be celebrated, you know, because he's a doctor, you know? Um, And then Sausage, obviously, then interrupted and said, oh, I don't know about that, you know. And the other thing that happened (laughs) is um, that, that over the course of the day, you've got this chorus of Tories including that fucking idiot uh, Jacob Rees-Mogg and a couple of other, I think Hattie Mancock did it as well, where they said, because we've left the EU, we were able to, um, our regulator was able to approve the vaccine quicker. That is an out-and-out lie. It is a joke. They're trying to um, piggyback the good news of the vaccine onto the fucking disaster and tragedy of the Brexit decision. And the shit hasn't hit the fan, but it will do in, well, what is it? In uh, 20, well, let's work it out. 28 days or something like that, yeah? On the 1st of January, then we're going to see, you know, like everything fucking fall away. You know, in Northern Ireland, people are saying, well, that it's not going to be food on the shelves. Incredible. And so they're trying to kind of, you know, make the most out of the vaccine, even bleeding it into the fucking tragedy that is Brexit. Um, But of course, it doesn't work. Everybody knows that we're in the transition period. So anything we do in relation to anything is in the context of the laws of this country now. Yep. We haven't fucking left. So we can't say, oh, yeah, yeah, we're better than the EU because we've the um, because we left the EU. Well, we haven't left the fucking. We're in the transition period. Yep, the transition period means that we abide by all of the laws of the EU, and they still haven't done a deal. Even though, you know, who who knows what's going to happen with that? Anyway, um, it's be- worth bearing in mind that this is a vaccine designed by two people from Turkey, made in Germany stores in Belgium the CEO of Pfizer is from Greece and you know it just so happens that the UK are the first country of many many to sign it off okay brilliant but you know let's just get it into perspective all we're doing is we've bought it brilliant and now we have to give it out okay and there's no doubt about it there's going to be a fuck up in the giving it out It is a difficult job because you've got to um, freeze it to like minus 70 and like unbelievably they only come in batches of 925 like (laughs) which apparently you can't separate these batches 
um, which is not like until you obviously kind of give them out. But in terms of transporting them, they you've got to transport them in batches of 925. Now, it reminds me when I was doing, you know, my maths uh, masters. You know, obviously I've got maths masters. Um, it's that kind of question, you know. You've got a town of 10,000 people. How many batches of 925 does it take? You've got two lorries, capacity of two lorries. How many trips does it take if each lorry takes um, 20 cases of 900 batches? Yep. Email social distance podcast at gmail.com with your answer. And I'm going to say goodbye. Another show tomorrow, 199, and then 200 on Friday. Right, let's think of an animal. Is there an animal? That's, uh, oh, the moth. Oh my God, I can't believe it's taken me so long to think of the moth. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful moth. Not a fucking butterfly, the better version of the butterfly. Never mind all that fucking, you know, ooh, brightness and light and joy. This is not the day for joy. This is the day, the day to be haunted, haunted. And the moth haunts us, haunt. What? Don't tell me. Uh, right, moth in your head now. Kind of um, a bit like a neck curtain, yeah. That kind of you know vintage colour. We got well, we got then love. We got a fucking brown, yeah. Let's think of a brown moth and a bit of grey as well, yeah. Grey moth. One, two, three. Walk between the raindrops. Nice that Al Green was uh, singing about rain, wasn't it? That was nice, wasn't it? Yeah, lovely, lovely. See you tomorrow. Bye.